Um, so Susan's going to come up and read the scripture. I just want to say, I don't know what it's like for you to come to worship, um, to experience this together. Maybe it's really normal part of your rhythm. Maybe it's somewhat new or different. Um, but even in preparing to, to preach, often, you know, I find myself looking at the text and praying and just feeling like, Lord, what am I going to say? I have no right to open this word or to any way to speak for you, O oh Lord. And I'm sort of often overcome by, um, by that feeling uh, of inadequacy, which is true. Um, but then when I come into worship and I'm with you all, like my knees are shaking a little bit um, still, but it all feels like it makes more sense. And so I'm hopeful that this community and this time of worship can be for you a place where God uh, is more real to your heart uh, than when you came this morning. And uh, with that openness, I want to invite our, our sister up. To, she's going to read this passage to us from Luke chapter 16. One of my favorite parables because it's the most, one of the funniest and most absurd of them all. So Giorgio talked about trash. And, you know, wherever there's humans, there's trash, whether it's spiritual trash or material trash. But um, Jesus has to help point that trash out in our lives. He believes in recycling. It's called sanctification. <laughs> it's called renewal, renewing of the mind. And he has to help even his disciples discern what is the trash you've got to get rid of, and what is that that is being recycled? So hear now the word of God, the parable of the dishonest manager, Luke 16. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and he said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So... Summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill, write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. 
If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, sister. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I, uh, I thank you. I praise you for your church, for the privilege of being together. And, Lord, we gather here, each of us, in our own stories, coming from our own week. And, Lord, I rejoice that you made each of us in your image. And so you know how to speak to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak uh, words of life, words that build, words that give hope. Um, and that you would even use me, Lord, to do that. Uh, we need your grace uh, to hear from you. I pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay, so when I, when I was growing up, um, I, I knew a guy. His name was Scotty. And uh, one day, Scotty had, a, Scotty had a beautiful mind. And uh, one day he was driving along, and he noticed that someone was selling... Uh, their Corvette, and it was a beautiful car, and it was parked, in, as people do when they want to sell their car, especially out in the country, it was, uh, it was parked in this person's front yard with a for sale sign on it, so he stopped in, and uh, he said, hey, can I, can I take the Corvette out for a drive, and uh, so the person said, yeah, sure, and uh, uh, I think maybe held his driver's license as collateral, I'm not sure. There's no, there's no enough collateral for a Corvette. Um, but anyway, so Scotty took the, uh, the Corvette for a drive and brought it back and 20 minutes later and said, thanks, appreciate it, uh, I'll think about it, and I'll be in touch. And then that night, in the middle of the night, uh, he returned to the Corvette with the key that he had made when he was out taking a test drive that he had copied of the original key, and he drove it away. And that was his Corvette then. Um, it didn't last long, by the way. Uh, he was only briefly a Corvette owner. Um, it's, it's, that's a pretty funny story, um, but you, it's hard to deny that it's pretty genius at the same time, because I don't know if that, if that idea, that shrewdness, that creativity would have occurred to many of us on that test drive. And what if Jesus said to you this morning... I'd like you to be like Scotty in how you do your life. Uh, that would sound pretty uh, hilarious. That's exactly what Jesus says in this parable this morning. Um, he is telling us, by telling us this parable, he's setting up this dishonest manager and saying, I think that you should live your life more like this dishonest manager lives his life. And uh, that's part of why I love this uh, parable, because we think that we know a lot of stuff about what Jesus would tell us to do, and then we're pretty surprised when he actually tells us what to do. And what, I, what I'd like to do is, let's go, um, 
is I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about this passage, but I'd like to leave a lot of time on the end for us to pray through what this passage might mean for us. But a, a few thoughts before that. The point, uh, I believe, of this parable and this morning is that you should let what you believe about the future shape what you do with your stuff, with your life, with your possessions. Whatever you believe about the future, you should let what you believe about the future shape what you do with your stuff. And so then the two questions for us this morning, if, if we're going to try and do that, is what does the future hold? What is the future? Where are we going? And what stuff do you have? Okay, those are the two questions that we're going to explore this morning. So what does the future hold? The, the manager in this parable knew what awaited him. He had been dishonest, and so he was getting fired. But in his culture, if he didn't have this job, he would have no one to... It's not like he could just file for unemployment. It was a very different kind of culture than we live in now. He knew that he wasn't going to be able to um, be received in anyone's house or have any wealth or uh, safety. So what he did was he went to some of his uh, master's debtors and he said, here, I want you to pay it back, but one of them you only have to pay back half. And the other one you only have to pay back 80%. And the master and Jesus say, that's pretty good. Well done. Jesus holds this man up as an example to be followed, not because he was honest. He was dishonest. Not because he was a person of deep integrity, because clearly he wasn't. Jesus holds this man up as an example to be followed because he knew what was coming in the future. And he was really creative about getting there. So, if Jesus is calling us to know what our future is and to be creative about getting there, what does the future hold? Now, uh, we all know, whether we follow Jesus or not, that life is cruelly short, that it is not um, nearly as long as we would wish it to be. And that's part of what should shape our lives and how we use our stuff. Um, what if you knew, I don't know how you feel about Winston-Salem. I love Winston-Salem, because Winston-Salem doesn't take itself too seriously, and uh, Winston-Salem's like, hey, we got built on cigarettes and underwear, and we're doing our best, okay? Um, we're not even going to try and recreate it or pretend that didn't happen. We'll just take the old tobacco stuff and put new stuff in it and pretend like it didn't happen. Um, but what if you knew that at the end of the week, you were going to be moving from Winston, and you wouldn't be able to come back? What would you do with the five days ahead of you in Winston if you knew that you were going to be leaving Winston and never come back? Would you spend more hours at the office? Would you spend more time at home scrolling on your phone? What are the things that you, just imagine. This is an imaginative space. Just imagine what you would do and how you would fill your week if you knew that your time was short here in Winston. That's some of what Jesus is pressing us into to live like. But is there life beyond this short one? And that's where we might have a lot of different perspectives and answers about what awaits us after this life. And uh, 
what the Bible promises um, the rest of existence after this life is better than anything could, that you could ever possibly imagine. Um, I had a friend once. His name was Chris, so this will be easy to remember. And uh, he was a really good friend of mine. He's a professor and really smart guy. And uh, he had grown up in a Christian environment um, pretty significantly and had left that behind and had become an agnostic Buddhist, meaning that he was like, I don't know whether the, 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 the narrative of Buddhism is true, but I like the practices of, of Buddhism. And uh, throughout uh, the time that I knew him, it didn't really have anything to do with me. It just had to do throughout the time I knew him. He went through some hard stuff. And he told me one day, he said, I, Chris, I am now an agnostic Christian practicing Buddhist. I was like, okay. I'm just trying to do the math, you know. And, and he said, look, I, I'm going to keep doing Buddhist practice for life because I, I think that it's really has been really um, formative to my life and really works for me. But when I think about what Christianity promises, there's literally, I've never heard anything better than what Christianity promises, which is what the scripture tells us about the future isn't just that if you are in Christ, that God will, will uh, put you on this world in a glorified body and that death and suffering and sorrow will be ended. That's pretty good. Um, but honestly, a, a lot of things promise that. He said, what is best and what's most compelling is that in eternity, that Christians believe that they will be with God face to face. Like the one that created everything that is beautiful and is full of life, that he won't just give you paradise, but he will give you himself. And I was like, you are right. Um, Jesus is offering not just a world without death and suffering, but an eternity with God face to face where neither has anything to hide. Um, and Jesus is calling us to let that future, that reality, that there's literally nothing that could be promised that's better than that, shape what you do with your life now. Now, part of what I, I really appreciate about this parable and why I think it's so funny, even though I'm not really sure how to preach about it, um, is that Jesus points out very explicitly that followers of Jesus have a lot to learn on this point from people that don't follow Jesus. Like from what my friend who did not follow Jesus, in some ways completely reoriented how I think about the future. And part of what Jesus is saying is that people that don't follow Jesus often live lives that are much more consistent with what they believe than Christians do. You may be aware of this, but followers of Jesus struggle to be consistent big time. And Jesus commends this manager, who we might see as a non-ideal, he commends him to us because this manager is like him. If you're looking for someone in this parable that's supposed to remind you of Jesus, Jesus says it's this dishonest manager. Because Jesus knew what was waiting in the future, and he used his stuff accordingly. 
Jesus, who was God come to earth as a human being, knew that humans like us had chosen separation from God and that our future was going to be separate from God. But he was unwilling to let that happen. Just like this manager was unwilling to beg and he was unwilling to do hard work, Jesus was unwilling to let his people be separate from him. So he used the stuff of this world, mainly the power of death and the wrath of God. He used those things in the most genius of ways to save his people. He didn't go around them. He actually used death, the power of sin, and the wrath of God as the mechanism to save his people. St. Augustine said, that the cross is the devil's mousetrap. That Jesus actually used the cross as a mousetrap for death and the devil and evil. And what he did was he took his people out for a test drive. He left his credentials behind. Somebody's water bottle crackled and I thought it was applause. I was like, oh, what's that? Um, uh, thank you for that. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. Um, he took his people out for a test drive, left his credentials behind, and took his people on a test drive down into death and hell. And while he was there, he stole the keys to death and hell so that he could keep us forever, so that he would never have to give us back. And Jesus has now freed us to be like him and this manager. Jesus is calling each of us to use our temporary stuff, as he says, to make eternal friends. He says it clearly. He says, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. There's a word called mammon. You can Google it later so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Use your temporary stuff to make eternal friends. So if that's what the future holds and what Jesus has done, what do you have? And this is the place where we have to be in sort of an imaginative space. So what I want you to do, I know I do this a lot, but just bear with. You can close your eyes if you want to, or you can keep your eyes open, especially if you need to know where your children are. And I want you to consider what you've got and to make a mental checklist. Uh, maybe it's money. Maybe it's physical possessions, things that you own. Think about those. Maybe what you have is an ability. There's something that you can do or a skill that you have that you recognize that not everyone has that skill. Maybe it's the gifts of your personality. Maybe you are an encourager. Maybe you're really shrewd. Maybe you're really kind. The gifts of your personality. Think about the relationships that you have 
the ultimate gift, the only gift that you currently have that is eternal is the other people you know. Think about the relationships you have, the people that you know. Maybe it's family. The people who you are related to. What do you have? Hold on to your mental checklist because we're going to use that checklist for prayer. How can you put the future of where you are going into action now with that money, possessions, abilities, skills, gifts of your personality, relationships, family? How can you put that stuff into eternal action so it has eternal echoes? Um, I don't know if you've seen Back to the Future 2. It's been out for some time, okay? I won't spoil it for you, though. One time I spoiled an Avengers movie for Scott Grider, and I'm sorry about that, Scott. Um, in Back to the Future 2, Marty McFly discovers a sports almanac from the future, in which are listed all the final scores of all the games that have happened, of like, I think of like the last 100 years or something like that. So that when he goes back to the past, get the titles right, that he could actually bet on all the games and know exactly how they were all going to turn out. And I think what Jesus is telling us is that you can put your money and your stuff on the line because in a sense, you possess this almanac. Jesus has already told us how everything is going to work out. You know the scores. And here's where our heart, I believe, and God's heart come into play together. This is part of what Jesus says at the end of the passage. You know, he's saying if someone's faithful in a little, they're faithful in much. If they're dishonest in a little, they're dishonest in much. No one can serve two masters. You either love one and hate the other or serve one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. The way that we treat our stuff reveals our heart. And if there's one thing that's just real clear in the Bible, it's that reality. Whether it's something small or big, how we use it and how we orient to it reveals our hearts. And the choice for us is we can either use our stuff to love God and other people or use God and other people to love our stuff. Um, there's a guy named Henry Nowen. Giorgio could give you a better biography than me, but he's a pretty spiritual dude. And uh, like gave up a lot of stuff to do good. If you're looking for an example of that, look him up. His name's spelled with an I on the end, so I think it might be Henri. So that's cool. He wrote this little pamphlet about raising support. You know, the bourgeois raised support to do RUF. And some of you guys have raised support to do missions, and the church raises support to do church. And people asked him a lot, is it really awkward for you to ask people for money? And in this little pamphlet, he said, no. It's a blessing 
Because when I ask God's people to use God's stuff, all I'm asking them to do is to be converted. Asking someone, a Christian person, for their stuff is just a call to conversion, for them to actually love God. Um, But the problem for us as we see our heart and God's heart being revealed together um, is that we often don't desire the right things. Uh, I was reading an article the other day, and I was struck by this line. It was kind of a throwaway line. And uh, the person was talking about desires and all this. And the person said, now you begin to see the problem with desire. We rarely want the things that we should. We rarely want the things that we should. And we expose our hearts. So what do we, what do, we do about that? And to lead us into this time of, of prayer, I want to read a brief passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, by the way, the, the parable that we just read comes right after the parable of the prodigal sons in which the point is God's inviting you into a lavish party. Don't just stand outside, come on in. And then he tells this story. But listen to what Paul writes in Ephesians. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Basically, he's just saying, uh, we struggle to desire the right things, and our hearts are often attached to our stuff. And then he writes this, maybe the most beautiful thing that has ever been said. I won't fight you on that, but I... But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, and made us, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And this is the reason why he did all that. So that in eternity, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward you to Christ Jesus. Jesus saves people so that for eternity, he can give you riches. And the question before us as we go into prayer, and then as we come to this table, is, um, is God generous or is he not? And the good news is, he is. So I just want to spend a few moments with you um, praying and searching uh, inwardly before God who is present to you, who is nearer to you than your own soul. Where are you going and what do you have? So just, just pray with me for a minute. Lord Jesus, we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Lord, we spend a moment searching before you. What, what does the future hold? Lord, where do you say that we, are, that we are going to go if we are in you? Lord, help us see now. Lord, reveal to our hearts through your creativity what it looks like for us to recognize that Time is short in some ways. Lord, bring to our minds the things that we long for you to do away with. Help us to offer them to you. Lord, stir up in our hearts images and ideas of what it will be like to be with you and for there to be nothing between us. Lord, for us to always hear and know that we are your beloved. Lord, many of us need to hear from you again or for the first time today that you delight in us as we are. Would you speak that to our hearts? And Lord, we, we recall our mental checklist of our stuff. You are the giver of every good and perfect gift. Lord, would you add to our mental checklist awareness of things that we have? And Lord, we need your creativity to know how to use those things in your delight and in our delight to make eternal friends. Lord, would you, would you teach our hearts now and as we come to this table and as we go out from this time of worship, 
Lord, bring your creativity to our hearts that we would know what to do, where to move today, tomorrow, who to speak with, who to write a check to, who to give a gift to, whether it's a physical gift, a spiritual gift, a gift of our time. Help us, O oh Lord, and we praise you that in your smile and in your delight and in your promise that you will spend forever showing to us the immeasurable riches of your kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And help us be real shrewd like this manager and more importantly like your son, our Lord Jesus. Amen.